Let's pray. Father, as we gather before you today, as we gather around your word, we pray as always that the word speaks to us, that we somehow see ourselves in it, that we learn to be people who live our lives not by the standards of this world, but rather by people who merely live in this world, but who are uh, who have their thoughts captive uh, in obedience to you. Lord, bless our time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in week number two of uh, our series, What If? Uh, the series, as I told you last week, kind of explores the possibilities of making personal changes in our life and choosing to live instead by the standards that God's Word lays out for us. Last year, if you were, last year, it seemed like last year, last week when you were here, uh, we started off with the very first message, what if I forgive everyone? And hopefully you kind of remember a little bit about that. I mean, what if I actually chose to forgive everybody? And I suggested to you, I think maybe just two major points, one of which was you would certainly experience the fullness of God's forgiveness. In other words, we pray every week in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us in the same manner in which we forgive other people. I mean, if you learn to forgive other people, you begin to experience God's forgiveness rolling back. And the other thing is, you begin to experience the fullness of his peace. I don't know about you, but I feel so much better when I know that I'm on good terms with other people. There's nothing worse than to have some form of friction between me and somebody else because one of us, namely me, is too stubborn and too bullheaded and too Germanic, too Lutheran sometimes to admit that I was wrong and seek forgiveness or sometimes even to go and offer forgiveness. And those of you that have ever gone through that where you've gone to somebody, you said, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And they've said to you, okay, I do. I remember punishing my son one time rather unfairly when he was about nine or ten. I heard that he had hit a baseball through somebody's window. And when he got home, I really reamed him out. And then he proceeded to lie to me and tell me it was not him who did it. And of course, I don't tolerate lying very well. And so we applied the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. <laughs> and in about five minutes, I sent him to his room. And my daughter came home and she said, did you hear that Todd Hume hit a baseball through a window? I said, it wasn't Eric? She said, oh no, Eric had nothing to do with it. Hmm. Now what? I'm going to tell you now what. Some of you know exactly how this works. You're thinking, well, that just payback for the time I didn't punish him. <laughs> what a rotten thought that is. You know, the, the hardest part is to walk. And we, we just lived in a small little three-bedroom ranch house at that time. And I bet I didn't have to walk any more than 15 feet from the living room down to Eric's bedroom. 
And I remember going in, and I said, Eric, I need to talk to you. And he said, okay. And we both sat on the edge of his bed. And I said to him, Eric, I was wrong. I prejudged you. I scolded you. I accused you of lying. And I punished you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I still remember Eric putting his arm around me and saying, it's okay, Dad, we all make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, but he was willing, and I just, you know, I remember we hugged and we prayed. That's what I remember about it. That's how forgiveness feels. Well, we want to go on today and we're going to ask the second question. What if I take control of my thoughts? And I've got to tell you, this is one of the toughest areas of spiritual discipline to master. To control your thought life. I mean, and none of the subjects that we're going to deal with in the next couple of weeks are very easy, but this one ranks pretty up high to the top, along with learning how to control your tongue, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks. And we're also going to say, what if I actually mastered my financial life? That's also a tough situation. But, you know, thoughts are powerful things. And if you're anything like me, my mind tends to run about 100,000 miles an hour, about 100,000 different directions. But I I remember Norman Vincent Peale one time made this saying famous. He said, change your thoughts and you'll change your world. Change your thoughts and you'll change your world. Well, you know, I've heard many critics say, you know, it's not that easy. You can't just change your life by changing your thoughts. And and to that, I I respond, you're right on the first part, but you're dead wrong on the second part. I mean, it's true, it's not that easy to change how you think. I mean, anybody who's ever tried to change a thought pattern will tell you how hard it really is. I mean, we typically have some ingrained thought patterns that we typically turn to in response in certain situations, such as stress or fatigue or doubt or fear. I see Sunny here this morning. I'm going to use her as an example. We're going to do her wedding. And you may remember when I sat and I talked to you and Colin about this circumplex family model. Do you remember that? And it showed you what your family of origins were like and how you guys viewed your couple relationship. And your couple relationship is pretty tight together, which is really a good thing. But sometimes the families you come from are a little bit different. Okay. And I told you that the reason, the good thing to know this, I wish I wish I'd have known 48 years ago, been really helpful for about the first 48 years, (laughs) would be that whenever stress enters your relationship, you revert back to what you know best. The thought patterns are so deeply ingrained in how you think. In other words, we often think without thinking about what we're thinking. And if your natural tendency is to practice stinking thinking, or if your natural tendency is to always think negative thoughts and you do nothing to curb that natural tendency, then your worldview and your life is always on kind of the negative side. Let me describe a few problems you get. Uh, You know, habitual negative thinking leads to certain problems. But first and foremost, negative problems robs you of a life of faith. It's very difficult, and I've got to tell you, I know people like this. 
But it's very difficult to live with an attitude that says God is bigger than my problems when you approach every problem thinking, well, this ruins everything. And there's some people who do that. It's very difficult to live a life with an attitude that says I'm blessed and highly favored by God when every time any little inconvenience comes trotting into your life, you go, well, isn't that typical? Why can't I ever catch a break? Now, that's one problem. It, 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 it hampers your faith life. Here's another one. Negative thinking leads to inactivity. It kind of leads to this, what's the use? Why should I try? Why bother? Nothing ever works in my life. You know, why bother going on a diet? I'll just put the weight back on I mean, why should I bother to strengthen my marriage? He's never going to change. She's never going to change anyway. They don't appreciate what I do. I mean, I just, I, I, I just give and I give and I never get anything back. Why bother? Like you're walking around with a little cloud over your head all the time. And when you give into that natural, sinful tendency... To think negatively, it's easier to give in to the temptation to just plain simple do nothing. Here's a third one. Negative thinking often causes isolation in relationships. It causes us to focus on what's wrong in our relationships. I mean, you're very negative. You're always going to focus on what's wrong with your kids or what's wrong with your mom and dad or what's wrong with the people you work with or what's wrong with the people who sit in church around you. I mean, seeing only faults in other people prevents you, and it just robs you of that God-given joy to be able to see good in other people's lives. You just don't experience the fullness of that wonderful relationship. But you know, if you're willing to do the hard work of what Matt read to you before from Corinthians, which is to take captive every thought in Christ... It makes a big difference. The question is, what good would it do if you could do it? Again, I'm going to share just a few things. One is, I, I tell you, you'd be a lot happier. I find nothing more pathetic than to see Christians walking around looking like they were baptized in vinegar. Oh, what a sad witness that is. I mean, come on, folks, jolly up. When I was teaching high school, I know I've told you this before, I had a wonderful girl, her name was Kathy Zippoy. And every morning I'd come walking down the hall and she'd say, Good morning, Mr. Kolb, how you doing? And I'd say, fine. She said, well, then let your face know about it. <laughs> and what she was really saying is, you're feeling fine, although fine is an acronym for what? Feelings I'm not expressing. That's a free one for today. Write that down, John. Feelings I'm not expressing. But it doesn't take a a, a degree in brain chemistry to realize that a person who thinks positively, a person who thinks uplifting godly thoughts, tends to be happier than a person who is just bleak and negative. You know, I've got to tell you, I've, I've learned something in my life. Being happy beats miserable every time. Much rather be happy than miserable. Here's the second thing. You, you actually develop a more accurate worldview. And I'm going to change that a little bit. I'd say you get a more accurate 
really kind of a biblical worldview. It's kind of one misconception about positive thinking. And I'm not here today to advocate positive thinking, really. Uh, but some people say, well, positive thinking is no more than just wishful thinking. But that's not the case. Actually, the purpose of positive thinking is not to look at the world through, you know, rose-colored lenses. It's actually the ability to look through the world through clear glass so that you can see life as it really is. And the purpose of this is not to create a fictional view of reality, but to see what really is in life. I mean, positive thinking doesn't mean you never think a negative thought. It just means that you avoid thinking about things negatively. Let me give you an example. Negative thinkers tend to say, this is a terrible situation and there's no solution. Gone bad again, there's no way out of this. That's negative thinkers. Positive people tend to say, this is really kind of a bad situation. I wonder what I can do to change it. I wonder what we can do to make this better than it was. So it's, it's kind of an action-oriented. But here's the third thing. You become more productive. More productive. Instead of thinking, rats, what's the use? You say, I wonder what I could do to make this work better. What can I do to help change this? And see, when you start taking your thoughts captive, is what Paul is saying here, you spend, your less, you spend less time thinking about stuff that takes you nowhere. You spend less time living in the past or reliving the past or revisiting all of those regrets, all of those bad memories. You spend less time talking about the way things used to be and you start thinking about how they could be living under God who says, with me, all things are possible. If you make the effort to take control of your thoughts in Christ, as it says, that we, we are here to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge we've got and take every thought captive and obey Christ, it, it improves your emotional state, it improves your spiritual life, it improves your relationships, and quite honestly, it actually improves your ability to, to do your job well. Now, the big question always is, uh, how do you do it? How could I possibly start learning how to do this? How do I put it into practice? And again, I want to give end with just some biblical steps from, from our text. One of these, I'm going to say, is think on purpose. Think on purpose. Yeah, just, in other words, start thinking about what you're thinking about. Second uh, Corinthians 10.5, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, when Paul is saying this, he's talking about the influence the world has on our belief system and about our, our basic ideas of life. Now, I've taught a class before that has to do with biblical worldview and just worldview as it applies to a church. I mean, for example, uh, a, a worldview says we hire the pastor to do everything. A biblical worldview says, no, we hire the pastor to do what the Bible says, which is to equip and encourage us to do works of service. There's a big difference between how you look at it, if you're going to look at it the way the world says to look at it, and if you look at it the way the Bible says to look at it. When Paul says he's talking about the influence here that the world has on our attitudes, 
our most basic ideas about life. And guess what? If you haven't figured this out yet, the world teaches one way to look at things. Actually, it kind of teaches you all kinds of different ways to look at things. You pick and choose and whatever, whatever works for you. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches another way to view things. What we need to do is make sure that our thinking is aligned with biblical models, with a biblical worldview. And I'm going to give you just an example of how a biblical worldview contrasts with what I would call normal, quote, Christian thinking. To show you how this, this even affects Christians. I, I, I find a lot of Christians who, who have this kind of infection of a worldview who say things like this. God loves me. God blesses me. Jesus will help me in times of trouble. Sounds okay, doesn't it? God loves me. Jesus will help me in times of trouble. You know, the Bible doesn't really say that. In contrast, a biblical worldview says, God will bless me so that I might be a blessing to other people. Do you get the difference? The first one is, it's all about me. God will take care of me. God will bless me. When I have trouble, he will help me. And God says, I'm going to bring blessings into your life. And guess what? Not every blessing is a wonderful thing. Some blessings are laying flat on your back in a hospital for a week. I have a friend right now who, who writes a lot that suddenly can't see out of one eye. All he sees is like blood masses. And he's wondering how can he do his work that he needs to do when he can't really see. And he says, but there's got to be a way because God will show me a way. That there will be something that will be good that comes out of something. God's going to bless me in some way. I mean, that's, that's, so he's taken captive that thought already. See, back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham um, was blessed to be a blessing. And so instead of just seeing our Bible as just a bunch of cute little Bible stories, little Sunday school stories, a biblical worldview sees that there is a common thread that runs all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And what it sees is God's mission is to reach all people with the good news of Jesus Christ. God brings us into partnership with him, and then he blesses us, not just for our benefit, but so that we can bless other people, both spiritually and physically. That's why, as funny as the church sign sounds, that's what it says. Christ is risen. Now go tell someone Share that. Be a blessing to other people. It's not just about us. Now, I tend to work by myself a lot. It's just the very nature here of this church. It's small. Uh, I tend to come early. I sometimes tend to work late. When I work at home, I shut the door. But I work by myself, and so I spend quite a bit of time with my own thoughts. What I have discovered... You can tell me whether this sounds familiar to you at all. That left unchecked, my thoughts can take me all kinds of crazy places. For example, 
I spotted an ad for a car on a telephone, on TV, and I thought to myself, nice car. Wish I could afford it, but I can't afford it not on a pastor's salary, not with the demands on me, and not in this economy, and I just don't see that the economy is going to get any better. I guess the days of prosperity are all over. I sure wish I had taken advantage of some investment opportunities a long time ago like my buddy John did. Man, John's really done well for himself. and It couldn't happen to a less deserving guy, though. And I'll never forget the day when he said something to me. I, I, boy, I tell you, it made me hopping mad. You know what I should have said to John? I should have told him, you know, John, you blankety-blank, you know, let me tell you what I think of you. That's what I should have done, but, you know, I just... I can't stand up to people. I just, I've never been this way, and I guess it's because, because of my dad. I mean, I could never stand up to him. But, man, did he ever make a mess of my life? You know, I still don't measure up to his expectations. I guess I never will, so why bother? Never happened to you? One silly little stupid ad about a car dominated my thinking for way too long a time and led me into a negative, non-productive state. See, that's why we need to take every thought captive in Christ. When a thought enters your mind, you've got to grab a hold of that thought before it starts wandering down all of those bunny trails. Dissect it. Evaluate it. Weigh it against God's Word. See if it measures up. That's why the second, my second point is going to learn to think with a filter. Now, that's going to sound kind of like a blatant product endorsement, but it's not. But uh, when Nancy and I, we moved into our first house we were built in Maple Park, a little village of about 500 people, uh, I tell you, the water out there really tasted crummy. And so what we did is we bought a Brita filter water pitcher. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And we absolutely could not believe the difference it made. I mean, up to that time, we were using tap water uh, for everything, and this filter made a, a difference. I mean, not only did the drinking water start tasting better, uh, but coffee did, spaghetti did, rice did, even ice tasted better. You know, the ice didn't melt like before and have like, looked like a snowstorm down in your glass. Now, why is that? It's because the filter captured all of those impurities in the tap water and only let the pure water come through. That's the same thing Paul is talking about here, that we use a filter in our thought process. And if you want to think about it, you know, here's our filter. We filter everything through his word. We take captive. Now, a great Bible passage here. Now, I would say commit this one to memory. It's Philippians 4, verse 8. Uh, okay, it's up there. Okay, Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, we'll throw in some sisters there too, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You could go way wrong by not memorizing that verse. Eight good things right there. As you think about what you think about, run your thoughts through these filters. 
Is it true? Is it noble? Hmm, is this right? Is this pure? Is this lovely? Is this admirable? Is this excellent? Is this praiseworthy? In other words, is this thought worthy of my time? If so, go for it. If not, chuck it. I don't know if you know much about web designers and computers, but they use a little trick when you go to one web page and they actually want you to go to another web page. It's a little line of HTML code called redirect. Uh, that way, if a website or a web page uh, has changed names or moved to another uh, location, you go to the old site, it immediately moves you to the new site. Probably wonder what's that got to do with this. Well, it's a good tool for your thought habits, too. When you find yourself thinking about what you shouldn't be thinking, practice a redirect. Move your thoughts to something that's true, or noble, or right, or pure, or lovely, or admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Here's the third thing. Think in the direction of change. George Bernard Shaw once said, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Uh, He may not have realized it, but he was indirectly uh, referencing a couple of great Bible passages. I mean, for example, in Romans 12, too, Paul says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. That God can give you a new way to think. In Ephesians 4.23, he says, Be made new in the attitude of your minds. See, transformed behavior. We've talked about this before. Forgiveness and repentance. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have done it. But it's another thing to repent, which is to change your mind, change the way you're thinking, and now go in another direction. I know I've given this illustration countless times. It's the prodigal son who's walking away from God, and he's down on his hands and knees in front of the hog trough, and he's saying, man, I really messed up. I'm so sorry. But then he begins to change his thought process, which is, I can go home. And what he does is he gets up and he turns around and he starts heading back in the correct direction. He has sought forgiveness and now he's repenting. I quoted Norman Vincent Peale earlier who said, change your thoughts and you change your world. More significantly, he could probably said, change your thoughts and you change yourself. See, taking control of your thought life and gathering them under biblical, like a biblical umbrella. I remember hearing a sermon a couple of years ago at my kids' church, and they were actually talking about marriage. And uh, the pastor said, he said, I'm going to talk to the women here first. He said, but if you're looking for a guy to marry, marry an umbrella fella. And he had this big umbrella, big golf umbrella. He said, you want to find somebody who lives under the umbrella of God's word. You want an umbrella fella. And then he kind of tosses it aside and he said, guys, and he had this cute little pink thing. He says, and if you're going to look, you, you find yourself a parasol princess. He says, somebody who also will live under the authority of the word. I mean, that, that whole thing changes everything. 
It changes your life, change your thoughts, change yourself. And that's why I've often said, you know, I, I wouldn't date a person I couldn't pray with. It's, it's not worth it. Not worth it. You know, and don't think you can change another person. Uh, good luck on that one. See, taking control of your thought life means that you become a new person and you make a difference in the world around you. God has blessed you to be a blessing to other people. The right attitude is, God, I want to learn to think differently. Uh, because I want to learn to act differently. Because I want to be a different person. And that's why Peter says, prepare your minds for action because thinking leads to doing. Taking control of our thoughts and putting them under, you know, guys, we can all become umbrella fellows today. We get ourselves under the word of God and we keep all that other worldly stuff out of the, our life. And all you women can all become parasol princesses today. Get yourself under the umbrella of God's truth and keep all of that other nonsense out of your life. And I, what I've noticed, too, is that most guys are a little bit bigger than their brides, which means if he's got that big umbrella, the umbrella fella stand there, he can pull that parasol princess right there underneath. And they got double protection. I just thought of that. That's, that's good. I'm going to write that down. I, I can smell a whole new sermon coming. I got, I got your wedding sermon. <laughs> Henry David Thoreau, in closing, as a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, so a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind. To make a deep physical path, we must walk again and again. To make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kinds of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. I mean, taking control of your thought life is hard work. But that's why you got the resident president living in you called the Holy Spirit. See, it's not a one-time event. It's a daily process. But the rewards, God says, are reward-worthy. Because someday... You know, one of my heroes passed away the other day. A man I got to meet a number of years ago and talk with, Chuck Colson. And I think about Chuck Colson's life, who went from kind of bad to really great. You know, being Richard Nixon's hatchet man to a man who really did great things in, in prison ministry, prison fellowship ministry. And when I found out he passed away the other day, the first thought that came to my mind was, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a guy who year after year after year walked underneath the umbrella of God's word and received all the blessings of God's favor. The rewards for living that way, well, Chuck is experiencing those as of yesterday. The rewards of being with our Father in heaven. If you learn to think like God has told us to think, amazing transformations take place here. And I'd say prepare us for there. Well, our response to God's word is an affirmation of faith in this God that we believe that.